Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, it's great to see you this morning. Uh, so we uh, welcome to the third installment of PG, Parental Guidance. Uh, when you, when, when, I think when you think through applying the gospel to parenting as we're doing in this series, I think it, it's cleaner and, and more powerful of a look at the gospel. Uh, it's kind of like reading a children's Bible. Sometimes reading a children's Bible is helpful and easier to grasp the, the main point and understand the flow of stuff. And but while we're illustrating all the concepts primarily in the area of arena of parenting, shaping the souls of our children, every single principle we're talking about applies to every single person. We are all called by God to be ambassadors, representing God to others, so as to positively shape people's souls around us. Parenting is about influencing the shaping of a soul. Leadership is about influencing the shaping of a soul. Uh, being a great friend is encouraging and shaping positively the souls of your friends. And becoming a disciple of Jesus is all about allowing God to shape our soul. The concepts that we're talking about are universal to all of life. Sadly, I am too often not a good representation of God to my children. I all too often fail to represent uh, as an ambassador of God how stunningly beautiful and patient God is in his grace toward us. All too often I find myself falling back into what we talked about last week. Last week in kind of part one of the two-part middle section of this series here, uh, namely we, we talked about motivating the hearts of our children by law just doesn't work. And I fall back into that. And when I do fall back into trying to use rules to change the heart of my kids, I end up parenting just like a moral atheist would. No different. And then what happens is I find myself relating so very deeply to what the Apostle Paul, what we heard him say last week in Romans 7, where he talks about, he says, I know what I want to do. I want to delight in the law and the ways of God, but I too often do what I don't want to do. Right? How many of you have heard yourself say maybe uh, to your kids or, or to people you're coaching or to something else like that, people you're supervising, you say stuff like this. I can't believe you're just sitting there not cleaning up after dinner. I do so much for you. I am always working, doing stuff for you on top of all the stuff I have to work to do just take care of myself. And this is the kind of... Yeah, Right? <laughs> We say that. Thanks at night. Or, or late at night when you finally have a moment to sit and relax before going to bed. Your kids aren't cooperating in getting to bed. So you yell up the stairs, Kids, it's bedtime, not playtime. Don't make me come upstairs and make you go to bed or you will be... Sorry. Sorry. And some of you jokingly with a bit of seriousness also say as well, You better obey because I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world, right? So I'm not the only one who's ever said stupid stuff like that, right? Too often we use laws and rules in parenting to do something that only grace can do. Law can't change the heart. But what is grace? What is grace? Is it simply forgetting and ignoring a wrong? Is it, is it just mercy? 
The Old Testament Hebrew word translated in grace is, is hesed, and it means steadfast love, loyalty, mercy, loving kindness. It's this, it's this word used about covenants, so it means it's this binding forever agreement. The New Testament word used that's translated uh, uh, grace is charis, and it denotes a pleasing appearance, a loveliness, an agreeableness, an acceptableness, a favor or, or a gift and goodwill towards someone. And, it, and it's directly tied frequently in its usage to the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about grace, the most common definition of the grace of God is divine, unmerited favor. Instead of getting what you deserve, which is karma, Grace is not getting what you deserve, the just punishment for our sins, and instead getting what you do not deserve, forgiveness and acceptance and blessing and redemption in heaven. A few years ago, Elise was uh, taking her daughter, uh, or Wendy, I was taking our daughter Elise to Westerville North for a solo flute performance for which Elise had been preparing for months. Wendy got the directions mixed up took a wrong turn and didn't know exactly how to get there, and, and, and it was getting tight on time, and then Wendy saw red lights in her rearview mirror. She got pulled over for speeding by the police. So Wendy turns to Elise right away and said, Elise, let's pray that God gives us grace and we get off quickly and with, with a warning and not a ticket because we need to hustle if we're going to make it. To which Elise, who tends to be a leaner towards the rules and accountability like me, immediately says, Mom, you don't deserve it. You were speeding. (laughs) To which Wendy says, Seriously? Seriously? You're right, I deserve a ticket. But grace is not getting what you deserve. When you mess up, we can ask for grace or forgiveness and sometimes not get the punishment that we deserve in that. By the way, the policeman did give him just a warning and gave her directions, and they made it to the performance on time, and she did well. A definition, though, of grace makes that concept feel kind of heady and abstract, doesn't it? But to understand grace, it's something so very personal. Grace is not just a concept, but it's something we experience. In fact, grace is the history of who God is to humanity and who he is to you personally. So the Bible paints the history of the, uh, 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 the picture of the history and the nature of God this way. The story goes like this. It says, born into perfection at creation with every single need met, humanity sins and breaks the order of creation, bringing all sorts of pain, alienation of relationships. So humanity deals with conflict and wars and bitterness and, and pain into nature. So we deal with uh, disease and, and brokenness and death. And the core of sin is the refusal to trust the goodness of God who has supplied everything in abundance. It is rejecting that relationship. And yet, what does God do upon being rejected? All throughout the Bible, we see him being patient with sinners and sin, forgiving, pursuing humanity, empowering people to represent his goodness in the earth, and ultimately coming as God and in, in flesh than Jesus and pursuing us to show us the extent of his love, that he desires to be close in right, beautiful relationship with you and me. The story of grace is that even though we are still rejecting him, distrusting him, still accusing our good God of not being good, that Jesus comes, he teaches, he heals, he pursues us with relationship with the worst and the least. He pursues to demonstrate how deep 
his patience and his love goes. So we see Jesus befriending and reaching out to prostitutes and swindling tax collectors, to hot-headed rebels and to liars, to those that are shunned by society, to the uneducated and the educated, to the rich and to the poor. We see stories of Jesus choosing to eat and drink with sinners, willing to be reviled by the religious people for that kind of kindness. And we see Jesus inviting the sick and the lost, the hated, the rejected into forgiveness and healing relationship with him even before they are expressing an interest in who Jesus is and what he has to offer, even while they are yet rebelling against God and accusing God falsely rather than taking ownership for their own sin in the equation. See, God has pursued us like that all throughout history, not just pursued us with forgiveness, but with empowerment and spiritual gifts and favor. We see it from Abraham to Jacob to Samson and Jephthah to David and Solomon to Peter and Doubting Thomas, even to the philandering young man who came to faith in Jesus and later became the great St. Augustine we know from history to you and to me and to the worst of the people around us this very day. God pursues us with mercy, with loving kindness. Not just tough love, but loving kindness. Inviting all, inviting you, inviting me to not just be forgiven, but to be be adopted as a son and a daughter of God himself. With the promise that no matter how many times you fail, he will never be embarrassed of you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you because even, the Scripture says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Grace is God being experienced in my life, in your life. Grace is the pursuing and forgiving and empowering love of the very presence of God coming to you personally to forgive, to set you free, to heal you, to give you wisdom and empower you in the good works that he has for your life. Now, for many of us as followers of Jesus, we have a really good sense of the grace of the past. We have this sense that we've experienced forgiveness by God. And we tend to have a good sense of of grace for the future. We have this measure of confidence in our ultimate destiny with God, heaven. We get past and future grace. but, But we tend to isolate that mostly to the grace of forgiveness and the reward of being forgiven, which is heaven. But what does grace look like now? In the now of your parenting, in the now of your relationships, Let's try to quickly navigate through several angles of viewing this splendid grace. Allow me to start today with an object lesson, because it kind of seems appropriate. We're talking about parenting and children, so we'll just use an object lesson. Kind of. So everybody, everybody's looking up here. See, see what I've got in my hand? Okay. So, why did water come out of this bottle? Well, most of you, immediately your mind goes to Ross. That's a really dumb question. I mean, water came out because you shook the bottle, right? So let me change the way I asked the question. Why did water come out of this bottle? 
If you are shaken because of the behavior of your spouse or your boss or the behavior of your child, what comes out of you is what is already inside of you. When we are shaken by the behavior of another, we want to think that the problem is that other person annoying us and causing us to be that way. But Jesus says in Luke 6, he says it this way, For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. I'm not saying that we won't have horrible things happen to us, difficult things happen to us in parenting or in marriage or any other relationship. That will certainly happen. But your reactions, what comes out of you, isn't caused by the other person. It's always a reflection of what's already inside of you. And what that means is that for me as a dad, the main problem with me being a better dad, a more grace-filled dad, is not my children. It's already what's inside of me or what's not inside of me. See, what comes out reveals my need to be saved by God, to experience and live more fully in the grace of God. See, so many of our flubs in parenting, those interactions that do harm or even in our marriage are because our, is because our kids or our spouse or somebody else shakes our life. And it, and, and it isn't the patient, loving, you know, kindness and peace and joy of grace of God that comes out of us. It's something much different. It's the anger, the disdain, the impatience of unmet law, unmet rules, or unmet expectations. And when that happens, and it's not grace coming out of me, not only will your child or your spouse or your co-worker who gets spilled on you get better at you, because when your tone and words or actions are, are, are like that, the, 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 you're, you're accusing them, you're, you're attacking their failure, and that only cultivates defensiveness and bitterness. But further, in blaming them, you'll also fail to reach out for the rescuing help that you need yourself. And you'll continue in your bad behaviors, continuing to feel trapped and frustrated by doing things you don't want to do. See, the hardest thing in parenting and being a great parent or a great spouse or a great boss or a great coach isn't the problems of the people. The biggest problem is what's inside of us. As we seek to parent our children through the interactions that shake us, God is also representing, uh, reparenting you to be full of his grace and wisdom. And we need to receive that reparenting of grace that he wants to bring to our lives. See, if we want to be parents who share grace well so that we change hearts, here's the first of four powerful perspectives of grace we need to understand. Grace needs to impact our lives, your life, first. So on vacation, a question arose in our discussion. The question was this, when is the last time you asked God for forgiveness? And that question can easily be extended to, when is the last time you not only recognized your need for God's forgiveness, but you recognized your helplessness to accomplish what you knew was right and best and good? So how about you? When is the last time you have expressed either of those needs, your need for forgiveness or your recognition that you simply can't be all you need or want to be on your own? The best person, really the only person capable of effectively giving grace to another, to change another person's heart, is the person who has received grace. Grace is something that is caught more than taught. 
We experience grace. We don't just learn about it. And when you've experienced grace, you give grace to others much more quickly and easily. See, staying connected to our need for grace is essential to loving and parenting well, to being in any relationship well. When I honestly wrestle with those questions, I, I should be daily confessing my sin and my lack. And those confessions shouldn't be confessions that make me, horrible, make me feel horrible. Certainly, I should have a sense of sadness about sin, but the dominant feeling in confession should be one of freedom and hope and peace in confession, letting go of the burden of guilt because of knowing and experiencing and running to the only place we can fully be accepted, loved, and empowered and forgiven, which is God. Often in our parenting and interactions with others, though we don't start, not even as good Christians, there. Often as followers of Jesus, when we're trying to encourage people to grow, we start with the wristband question. You remember WWJD? What would Jesus do? Right? It's a great, great question we need to ask at some point because it helps us see the example of the one who we're trying to be like. But WWJD is our first question. It only drives us to rules and being law-oriented people. I mean, it's like saying to our kid, do do you just want your kid to buck up and obey? Do what Jesus did? Or do you want to help their heart change so that obedience becomes easier and more a part of who they are? See, I think WWJD is actually the second question we need to ask. I think the first best question, the starting place in helping others grow is WDJD. What did Jesus do? See, that question drives you back to what is already true of your relationship with Jesus. That question orients and settles your heart so that you can be motivated by the right motivations. That, that question helps you resist taking on the pressure and, and driven motivation of needing to measure up and be good enough. That, that question removes the fear of failure, the fear of judgment, the fear of rejection. That question calls you out of hiding your temptation and your sinful drives and your actions into a safe relational place with God, allowing you to positively influence the hearts of others because your heart is in the right soft place. See, we need to start there as parents so that we are reminded of and become full of the grace of God in our own lives. Then, when we're shaken, grace spills out. The second thing we need to see about grace is that grace empowers us. So I've been working very imperfectly on trying to remove and slow down the rust on our van for the past few weeks. Uh, After a a couple weeks ago, I got done, uh, uh, you know, miserably, unesthetically patching one hole. And since then, our garage floor has been littered with tools to continue that job. The problem is I walk by those tools every day, sometimes several times a day, and the van isn't getting any less rusty. Why? Because I'm not picking them up and using them. See, one of the concepts that help us understand that God's grace empowers us is to realize that you and I are designed to be tools in God's hand. God is the one who picks you up. He empowers you to do what he's masterfully designed you to enjoy accomplishing in life. 
In fact, if you're a tool that's broken, God is the master craftsman who both repairs you and helps you then also work well in what he's called you to do. God carries the weight. We get to be carried by him. And the beauty of that is God's grace takes all the weight and pressure off our shoulders because it's God who picks us up and wields us. And the same is true for our children. God has good plans prepared in advance for them to do. So we are free to hope in them and believe in them even when they don't hope and believe in themselves because our hope is in God's plan and ability, not ours and not theirs. Which brings us to another aspect of God's empowering grace that I think is transforming and beautiful to look at. My life, like many of yours, I'm sure, has been profoundly impacted by people who believed in me. At a time in life where I thought pretty lowly about my abilities, a person who I never dreamed of, who I thought was so much better of a leader than I would ever be, believed in me, and it changed my life. When you think about the essence of the grace of Jesus, it's a message of God believing in you. God believed in you so much, believed that no matter how broken your life was or is, that you were worth Jesus coming to die on the cross to pay the ultimate price to secure perfect forgiveness of you. Just let that idea sink in for a moment. God believes in you so much that he paid the ultimate price for you. He believes in you that much. He promised His very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would come and live with you and guide you through this life, empowering you to do more than you can ever think or imagine. Imperfect, broken you. The you who so often knows what's right and what's best, but still finds yourself doing the opposite. Yet God believes in you enough to pursue you even in that space. He believes in you so much that he entrusts to you the shaping of the souls of other people to the point that that he's made all of you the point people in accomplishing his purposes in this earth. Now, when you hear it that way, you go, is he crazy? What's up with that? Yeah, God is crazy about you. He believes in you far more than you believe in yourself. And God wants the confidence of all those statements that I've just made of His pursuing loving kindness, His grace, to sink into your life, to become the rock-solid, soft, humble, kind, patient confidence that motivates you and that spills out of you whenever life or others shake you. But there's more to the understanding of the power and the proper application of grace because oftentimes when we think of grace, we just think of mercy. And that's just so reductionist to think of only mercy in that. The third aspect of the beauty of God's grace is that grace and truth are inseparable. Now, on the one hand, many people talk about tough love and, and, and facing the tough truth, but that, that's often not a biblical concept in the way people apply that because that usually means truth is presented in blunt terms without any kind of extravagant kindness and relational assurance that biblical love and grace come with. But that begs us the question, should I ever withhold grace if I perceive that my child or spouse or coworker are taking advantage of that grace? Should I just then do tough love? 
Let me allow Paul Tripp, and a, a quote from Paul Tripp to answer that. He answered that question saying this. He says, I'm, I'm thankful Jesus doesn't withhold grace from me where I am taking advantage of it. Because if he did, I'd be cooked. The sting of the law doesn't ever really change anything long term. On the other hand, as a parent, you haven't given grace unless you also talk about the truth. As a boss, you haven't given grace that frees the heart and motivates the heart to change unless you have also given the truth. You see, overlooking things and letting things slide without consequences because we don't want to have a difficult conversation is actually sin, not God's grace and mercy. See, in most of the letters the Apostle Paul writes talking about grace and truth, he he talks about grace and truth together, often in the same sentence. Grace and truth together means sometimes you lift the burden of consequences after the truth of the matter has been explored. As your child becomes more responsive, you generally don't remove the consequences without repentance and forgiveness taking place. But the difference in this kind of setting is how truth is delivered. It's not delivered in a guilt-inducing, powering up, proving what is right tone, but in a kind and honest, inviting tone. And I love you. I believe in you. I will always pursue you and always try to be kind to you. But this behavior is costing you something. It's costing us something in terms of pain and difficulty. See, in our struggles to parent... One of the ways that we tried to do this so imperfectly was talk to our children about how their behavior was wrong, how it, how it hurt them and how it hurt other people and how it hurt us and how it hurt the trust of our relationship with them, how their behavior cost us all something. And in the midst of that, trying to shower on our children how much we love them, how highly we think of them and paint a picture of how good and fun life can be when we are protected by behavior that protects right relationship. And then we would walk our children through an apology. And that always included clearly stating what they did wrong. An apology isn't just, sorry I hurt you, sorry I did wrong. No, an apology needs to face the truth specifically, what they did wrong specifically, how that wrong cost everyone something in terms of pain and hurt, in terms of lost trust, in terms of lost time. And then in our family, the word sorry was actually reserved for an honest mistake and oops. For misbehavior, our children had to say, please forgive me. Now, do you have to be that rigid in terminology? I don't know. But here's the positive thing that came out of that for our household. It reserved one word, forgive, for the more serious things. And that one word helped our children face the truth of what they did more fully. And the word forgiveness, for that matter, it just seems to be more of a relational restoration word anyway, so we liked it from that perspective as well. As I look back on that, I I think that was really powerful. You see, when our apologies don't fully face the truth, it cheapens grace. And cheapening grace by not facing the truth actually causes our children to feel like they can say sorry and then still hide from the full truth and therefore not really fully face it and not really change. We almost teach our kids to hide in that. Because change only happens when a heart is soft and open and malleable, not when it's still hiding. How we parent needs to invite 
the heart into the open. Not, not demand it, not, not pressure it, but, but invite people around us to open their heart to us, to be honest and soft and real. But that leads to one final point for today, a really important one that we're going to touch on today and then try to illustrate some more next week. And that's this. Grace constantly pursues you with kindness, inviting you to relationship, especially when you're annoying and in need of forgiveness and you don't deserve it. See, even when you aren't seeking it and looking for it, Jesus' grace is pursuing you, offering you kindness and an invitation to relationship. The movement of grace-filled relationship, grace-filled parenting, grace-filled supervision of people at work is always moving toward the person. Now, we, like many of you in our parenting, uh, had timeouts and grounding as part of our repertoire when the kids were younger. One of the dangers in those moments is isolating your child and making them feel like you're rejecting them, not wanting to be around them if you send them to the room by themselves. I get it. Sometimes they need isolation from all the distraction to sit and think. I get that. There's, there's a need for that. I understand that. But, but how you communicate around that is so important. So that the action of isolation doesn't communicate, you just want to get them out of your presence, out of your hair, distance yourself, and I'm rejecting them. I also remember talking with a friend years ago about their experience with their dad. Their dad would discipline, demand an apology, and then even after the apology would sometimes for days give the cold shoulder to the child. And it left them feeling like they were insecure, wondering what and when what they needed to do in order to get things right, to truly make the relationship right. See, the power of godly grace is that even when things are wrong, there is the pursuit of relationship, the moving toward to be close to the person, to be there for them, to make things right. So that even when you as a child are walking through consequences, there is a sense that your parent is there walking through those consequences with you. I want to show you an illustration uh, of a parenting interaction that I, that I think really sums up a lot of what we're talking about today. It's on a video where Paul Tripp is being interviewed about parenting, and he tells the story of his oldest son when he was 16 lying to them and how he handled it. Would you turn your attention to the screens? My, my oldest son, Justin, had been a pretty easy kid to parent. Uh, he was about 16 years old, told us he was going to spend a weekend with a friend from our church. He had asked that friend to lie for him because he was going to go someplace we wouldn't have wanted him to go. and uh, He knew he shouldn't go. Um, on Saturday, I got a call from the friend's mom because a friend had felt guilty and told his mom. And she had called me. Uh, now, when I got off the phone, I was livid. And I went upstairs and I said to Luella, guess where our son is? She could see, I mean, just the sarcasm and anger dripping off me. And she said, I think you should pray. And I said, well, I don't know if I can pray for him right now. And she said, no, I think you ought to pray for you. Uh, and as I, as I was praying, I began, I began to think, God has already begun a work of rescue as my son. God pressed in on the conscience of that other friend. God led him to call, to talk to his mom. God led that mom to call me. And all of a sudden, instead of just lacing into my son, I wanted to be part of that work of grace that was already operating. So when Justin got home, uh, instead of pouncing him, the minute he came in the door, I waited, waited a couple hours, went down to his room, 
asked if I could talk to him. He said, yeah. I said, could you turn, turn down your stereo? I just looked him in the face and said, do you ever think about, you know, just your average weekend or whatever, how much God loves you? He said, yeah, maybe, but not all the time. I said, well, think about this weekend. Do you ever think about how much God's grace is operating in your life, even on a weekend like this one? Uh, now I'm getting a bit of his attention. I said, do, do you ever think about how specific that is? And he said, who told you? Rather than saying, how dare you do this to me? I said, you know, Justin, you've been living in the light. You've really made good choices. And very intentionally, self-consciously, you took a step toward darkness this weekend. And you can learn to get skilled at that. You can learn to tell a good backstory. You can learn to manipulate your friends. Uh, you can have it all set up and get very skilled at living that way. But I want to say this to you. Why don't you live in the light? Why would you go there? And I said, that's all I want to say to you right now. Uh, and I started to walk away. Now, he's 16 years old. And I heard this voice from behind me say, Dad, don't leave. And I turned around, and there's a 16-year-old kid, tears streaming down his face. And he said to me, I want to live in the light, but it's so hard. Can you help me? Well, can I help you? Of, of course. Amen. Now, God had to work grace into my heart first. Because if he had come home at the moment I got the phone call, I would have ripped into him. Mm -hmm. That would have shut down and closed his heart. And no good would have come out of that. Think about this. If there's a moment where somebody is up in your face so close that you can feel their breath, their eyes are flashing, their veins are bulging, they're saying inflammatory things to you. You have never once been in that kind of conversation and felt helped. You shut down, you defend yourself, and you just want the scene to be over. Uh, fortunately, God rescued me first so that I could be an instrument of rescue in the life of my son. Now, next morning, I'm a very early riser. He was up before me, sitting in the living room, because he didn't want that next day to get by without saying, Dad, I'm just, I feel so ashamed for looking you in the face and lying to you. I don't want that in our relationship. I want you to be able to trust me. And I'm so, so sorry that I did that. Because now God had worked on his conscience. A turn had taken place in his heart. And he wanted to have reconciliation with me. Grace is about moving toward them with a relational way, with a soft heart, even while speaking the truth. It's the power and the grace of God. We're going to close our service today with another object lesson, kind of in a sense, it's, it's communion. It's really, it's really the idea of this whole thing that we're talking about. It's God pursuing us. His Spirit wants to interact with us in this. Communion is our celebration of the grace of God is in our lives, offering right relationship with us, securely helping us move forward, no matter 
what we've done, offering to each of us that we get to be adopted as sons and daughters, to be parented by Him, to be reparented by Him, offering us the power of the Holy Spirit coming to us to transform our lives, to give our lives meaning as we shape the lives and hearts of others, bringing healing and hope and restoration that God gives us, and we get to give that same grace away. If you think about it, that's actually what evangelism is. Helping people come to faith is really about sharing that kind of goodness, that kind of grace of God with other people and inviting them to receive that kind of grace. But grace starts with us receiving it. So, when's the last time you acknowledged your need for forgiveness? When's the last time you acknowledged your inability to be and to do all that you know is right, best, and good? you start there with those questions today in communion and receive God's Spirit coming to you, affirming you with the forgiveness and the hope and the kindness that He's inviting you to receive in this moment. Lord, we just ask that as we receive communion that you would make this much more than just bread and juice, that you would come to us, that you would touch each and every one of us right where we're at. But in our failures, in our falling short, we would just sense your kindness. Yes, we'd be sad about that because of the pain that it's caused, but we would just sense your kindness coming to us in that moment to still carry us, to still work through us, to still make us into the moms and dads and the friends and the sons and the daughters and the, and the, and the workers and the supervisors that we need to be, Lord, in life where we can be full of your grace and your truth mercy and your loving kindness just oozes from us, Lord, that when we shake in life, when life shakes us, that we would be different because of encountering you. So come in this moment and do that in Jesus' name. Would you continue to worship and come? Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.